The New York Football Podcast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals. Get this, they can save you with prices up to 60% off Right now, just looking at tickets for Sunday's game against the Packers. Lots of tickets available under $100. And as the game gets closer, those tickets will get cheaper and cheaper on the GameTime app. And the best thing about it, you can use the easy two-tap checkout and be on your way to the game. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. listening to the New York Football Podcast with Tim McMaster and Dan Duggan. Another week, another loss for the New York Giants, this time around 19-14 to 14 in Chicago. Tim McMaster here along with Dan Duggan. It's the New York Football Podcast, and Dan, things aren't getting any brighter. You led your story with the historical stat that the, uh, the Giants, for the first time ever, didn't win a game in October or November December's not looking great right now either. Um, it's it's a dark time. We're going to get into the the coach, the hot seat, the offense, the defense, all of it. But overall for you, just watching this game in Chicago on Sunday, what was your kind of gut reaction? Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, you're talking a 94-year franchise history. It's hard to come up with stuff that's never been done, and it just tells you how low this franchise has sunk, that they were able to accomplish you know, a, a feat like that that you really don't want to have in the record books. Um no, it's really just sad. I mean, we're at this point now where, you know, half the fan base, you know, if not more, is almost happy with Sunday's result because it's going to help the draft stock. And it's just, you know, I mean, listen, I have no, you know, inc- I don't have any rooting interest in these games, but it gets old <laughs> for the third year in a row to be worried about draft status in November. Um, but for the record, they, they have the second pick uh, as of today because, you know, Washington remarkably won a game, which looked like was not something that was going to happen. Uh, so that's showdown in a couple of weeks. Uh, we'll have some heavy draft implications. Uh, and, yeah, and Sunday's game was just sort of more of the same. Uh, I mean, I think you kind of had a feeling that's how it would go. I mean, the Bears offense is terrible, so the defense was okay. The Bears defense is good, so the Giants offense, you know, wasn't very good. And in the end, they just, you know, they can't make enough plays. They can't put enough things together to win the game. And, and again, it's just sort of it's sort of been the same formula. Like I I changed my game story up a little bit and just identified like the 10 main reasons why they lost. And like six or seven of them, it's just rinse repeats the same stuff every week. There wasn't a lot of unique things that we hadn't seen, you know, in, in Sunday's game. It's, it's sort of just been the same problems, the same Achilles heels, just, you know, plaguing this team all season. So at this point, seven in a row, again, it just feels kind of like paint by numbers. You you know how these games are going to go, you know, Pat Shermer's going to get up and, Talk about how hard they battled and how it was a close game, and we just didn't make enough plays to win. And it just—he's at the point now where it's like the uh, you know the teacher in Charlie Brown, where like it just the the, the words don't even register anymore. Um, I mean, I think the fan base has totally just tuned him out. I mean, it's, if you ever want to you know see the the vitriol in this fan base, go to a Giants tweet that, you know about Shermer and just scroll through the mentions. I mean, it is a bloodbath in there. I mean, if these, you think I mean, you think people are, are you know kind of sick and tired of him and the and the way this thing is going. I mean, you really see it. It's pretty raw. Um so yeah, no, it's just it's just like I said, it's just kind of groundhog day with this franchise now going on 3 years and uh no real signs of getting any better. 
It is kind of remarkable how predictable this game was. You just said it. You know, their their offense is very good. So the defense looked decent. Their defense is good. The offense. It was just exactly how, um, if you had drawn it up on paper, it pretty much would have gone down. Low scoring game. Giants look bad, and, and the Bears come away with the win. Um, so before the game, though, the news was already underway as far as the Giants go because a report out there that. Uh, basically, if Jason Garrett is let go by the Cowboys, um, the Giants would be interested. Uh, what do you think of the report, I guess? And and how much truth, how much is it just being put out there by Garrett? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's, you know, it's reported by NFL Network, Ian Rapport, you know, certainly one of the you know, the, the most well-known insiders. Um, so it's not just, you know, some firing something off on a blog. So you got to take it seriously. Uh, that being said, I mean, obviously, you know, there's reasons why certain things are leaked. And this one really reeked of Garrett's camp, putting it out there, knowing that his contract is going to be up at the end of the year and just kind of letting Jerry Jones know, like, listen, if you aren't going to extend our guy, there's a team that you guys play twice a year, your hated rival, who would be happy to have him. You know, Rap Sheet reported that, you know, back in 2014, the Giants were kind of monitoring that situation uh, the Cowboys extended Garrett, and the Giants ended up bringing back Tom Coughlin for one more year. Um, but no, and listen, I I don't think you can dismiss it out of hand though. And then it's kind of funny because then the you know the Cowboys go out and lose uh, to the Patriots, and, and Jerry Jones, who you know never runs for a microphone, you know kind of had a few shots across the bow at the co- coaching. So I don't think that report sat well with him because again, it's pretty transparent that that's coming from Garrett's camp. I don't think the Giants are putting that out there. You know, the Cowboys certainly aren't putting that out there. It, it really pretty easy to trace the, the root of that leak. Um, and again, I don't think it sat really well with Jerry Jones to have that come out on a game day and then have the team go out and, you know, not perform well, uh, you know, obviously against a tough opponent. But I will say, I, you just, like, you can't dismiss it because he does feel like a guy that John Mara would be super comfortable, you know, running his team. Now, we have a long way to go because, A, Garrett has to be available. B, they have to pull the trigger and fire Shermer. But it doesn't seem that implausible for both of those scenarios to play out. And then if Jason Garrett's on the market, I mean, he has one big thing going for him that he was a giant quarterback, you know, backup quarterback in the early 2000s. They love their once a giant, always a giant. Now, listen, I know the fan base was apoplectic when, when this, you know, made the rounds on social media on Sunday morning. And I understand that because Jason Garrett's had a ton of talent to work with there in Dallas and has really nothing to show for it. You know, hasn't won big games. They have, has certainly not elevated that team at the same time the flip side is there's sort of the anybody's better than Shermer feeling and uh, Garrett definitely has a better resume than Shermer would, would be an upgrade and you know his, would, have, would bring a really good staff with him presumably because he does have some good assistance there in Dallas um, you know he's he's really the kind of the face of the franchise type guy that marries like the quote-unquote adult uh, I think he would solidify things and you, you know you'd probably you know be a little bit better team and I don't know who the other candidate that would be just some home run hire that, you know, we'll have to see, I guess, how that develops. But I, like I said, I'm just not ruling it out. It's it's a long way away, a lot, a lot of variables at play. Um, but I just think it's something to keep an eye on if things keep trending in the same direction they are right now with, with Garrett and the Cowboys and with Sherman and the Giants. I think it's something that, you know, could get more serious, you know, as we end the season and, and you know, get into those first couple of days after the season. I kind of stand with the fan base and just the fact that if I'm going to bring in a guy who's been somewhere else, I just want more success when you look at the talent that he's had. That Cowboys team should be better. They came into the year with kind of Super Bowl expectations, or maybe not expectations, but the thought that they could get to that level, and it's just been disappointing to see. They never look 
embarrassing or anything like that. I don't think they they always look like they're doing the right things. There's days when Dak Prescott looks incredible at quarterback. I just the overall product over the years from from Garrett as the Cowboys head coach. I just don't see it. I wouldn't want to bring that guy in immediately. But you never know yeah, what happens. I, I mean, look at the team cross town where Adam Gase looked terrible in Miami, and the Jets hired him the next season. So you never know in the yeah. NFL. No, I, I, I mean, I totally agree. Listen, I'm not yeah. <laughs> trying to make the case for Jason Garrett. I'm just trying to present the case. I think the Mara, you know, contingent and the ownership could make. Um, I just, you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess you, the one thing you have to say is like, who would be better that they would get if they do decide to move from Shermer? I know fans will say, you know, Matt Rule or, or you know, some young assistant. I don't know that the Giants are, are crazy about going that route after they really, you know, feel like they got burned on the McAdoo way. And then you talk about a guy's resume. Obviously, Pat Shermer didn't come with a, a really strong resume, and um, they were comfortable hiring him. Again, I'm, I'm not saying it would be a good move. I'm not quite as down on it as maybe the fan base because, I, I mean, I, I think he would be an upgrade. But uh, I totally understand uh, the reservations based on the stuff you said. I mean, again, the guy's head talent and hasn't elevated it. So then he comes in with a, a weaker roster. It, maybe it would be ugly. Who knows? Because he definitely has not you know, made the most of what he's been given to work with there in Dallas. All right, let's move on to the game um, on the field a little bit. And we'll start with the defense this time around. We'll kind of flip it up, which which disappointing unit we start with first on, on the podcast. Uh, let's go to the defense. Uh, Mitch Trubisky by no means let the world on fire. Uh, two bad interceptions for him, and it's been a struggle. But he did throw for 278 yards and a touchdown in this game um, and really was able to pick on this secondary in that second half when the Bears got things going. Balancing... Um, Really the main focus, you had Baker and Beal splitting time on the other side. But when you look at what the Bears offense was able to do, which wasn't score a lot of points, but was able to to move the ball a little bit, um, where do you critique the Giants' defense in, on Sunday? Um, yeah, I thought the defense was pretty good. I mean, they yeah. certainly got a break early when the tight end you know dropped, which should have been you know basically a walk-in touchdown when, when uh, Lorenzo Carter slipped in coverage and the guy got wide open. But then later in that drive, you know, Ogletree made a, a good play to make that leaping interception. He owns the Bears. He needs to play against the Bears more often. Um, and then, you know, you got to figure. So they gave up the other touch. One of the touchdowns was off of a, a three-yard scoring drive. <laughs> so that's that's always pretty right. tough. Um, you know, Love made a, you know, it was basically like a, a pop fly to a center fielder. That interception it was a terrible throw and decision by Trubisky. But, hey, you know, rookie out there getting his first real action, that was, you know, that was good to see. It was really just that stretch, uh, you know, late second quarter into the third quarter where they just zeroed in on Corey Ballantyne and just had their way with him. And it was it was like almost tough to watch because it was really just like picking on him, you know, play after play. I mean, his stats from pro football focus were I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen a stat line like this for a cornerback, especially a slot guy who's who's not even, uh, you know, playing every snap. And and typically you're not faced against the the other team's best receiver, but they did move Allen Robinson there quite a bit just to, you know, kind of exploit that matchup, I think. But he went, he gave up 12 catches on 14 targets for 188 yards and a touchdown. I mean, 188 yards by one cornerback. It's tough. Hmm. And it's not like it all came on like one 90 yard play. It was, it was pretty just methodical and they just, you know, kept getting chunk play after chunk play. I mean, it was the first two drives of the second half. And this is just based on my own charting. I don't know, if, you know, what PFF had, but I think he gave up five catches for like 139 yards and a touchdown on those two drives alone. So that was, like I said, that, that was tough to watch. He was getting turned around and, and just really looked lost. I mean, but listen, that's what it is when you're talking about young defensive backs. Uh, there's going to be growing pains, you know, kind of hats off to the Bears that they discovered that mismatch and really took advantage. And, 
you know, probably the, the only reason things settled down is they had the, you know, 19 to seven lead at that point, And they went to a much more conservative approach, which again, was understandable with Trubisky at quarterback. So they didn't just kind of keep picking on them. They just sort of tried to get out of there and, and run the clock. But uh, yeah, I would say overall it was, you know, a pretty strong effort, but again, it's, it's not a good offense. So, you know, it's sort of to be expected um, you know, the run defense was pretty good, but the Bears don't have a good rush offense. Pass rush, kind of what we've seen. They get through for a sack here and there, but, you know, not consistent. Um, I think the Leonard Williams watch is going to intensify a little bit here just because, I listen, I understand interior defense alignment can't judge him based strictly on the box score. But when there's pretty much nothing in the box score, um, that does have to at least be accounted for. I mean, he's just... He's, he's exactly the guy that we thought he'd be, you know, based on everything with the Jets. He's a nice, solid player. He's not a game changer. There's really no signs that all of a sudden in his fifth season, he's going to become one. So, you know, I mean, we could talk to a blue in the face about the, the merits of that trade. But it's just, you know, through three games, he is what he is. Nice player, good against the run, you know, occupies blockers, gets a little push, and just doesn't make any plays. And, um, you know, this team certainly needs playmakers, and it doesn't look like uh, he's that guy. And then, you, so you have Baker and Beal splitting time, which you don't see a lot on at the cornerback position in the NFL. Baker about two thirds of the action. Do you see that continuing in that way the rest of the season? Can Beal get even more of that split? What do you think is going to go down on that corner? Yeah, that, I mean that was interesting. I mean, I think that you know, we were trying to figure out how Beal was going to you know, get into the flow after he missed so much time and. Uh, I think Baker opened the door uh, in that Jets game with the lack of effort. I think that was kind of the final straw where they said, listen, I mean, we, you, you can't just keep handing this kid the job. I mean, he started yesterday, but they pretty much uh, pretty strict alternating quarters. And then, you know, Baker ended up playing more snaps because uh, I think there was situations where like, maybe the two-minute drill they put him back in probably because, you know, he has more experience in, in sort of the different packages. But when they were playing sort of their base defense, it was sort of, you know, Baker got like two series and Beal got two series and they alternated like that. And, and you know, Beal, I thought looked pretty good. He obviously, he got beat on the one long play for, he was like a 60 yard gain and it got called back by a penalty. So that one doesn't show up in the box score, but you know, certainly, uh, you know, we all saw it and, and, you know, it was, he did get beat and Baker had a good game. So, you know, I don't know, maybe Baker responded. Maybe it was because the Bears don't have a very good passing attack, whatever it may be, but he was very quiet in a good way. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he handles uh, the benching or whatever you want to call the rotation, we'll call it, because he, he's not going to be on the uh, all good body language team. Uh, you know, he didn't <laughs> seem to be super engaged on the times when he was on the, on the sideline and Beal was in for him. Uh, but listen, he hasn't earned, you know, the right to be a 100% player. And um, I think that this is probably what you are going to see the rest of the way. I don't know if it'll become more of a 50 50 split. I don't know if it'll be situational, because I mean, even. You know, it was like two-thirds to one-thirds, but that might be thrown out of whack just because maybe one of Baker's drives went longer and one of Beal's went shorter, you know, whatever. So I don't know if it'll be more 50-50 going forward. But I think it's certainly, um, you know, worthwhile to do because, you know, everything is at this point is about the future. You got to see what you have in Beal. I mean, obviously the other option would be to, you know, sub in for Jenkins. But, I mean, Jenkins is, is significantly better than both of those guys. So I think it'd be, it's kind of a tough sell to just totally take out all of your quality veterans and just play young guys, at least this early, maybe the last week or two. Um, so I think it's going to have to be the young guys kind of splitting reps and let both of them sort of get their feet wet and, and let them work it out. And, you know, going into next year, um, you know, a better feel for what you have in, in Beal and, and, you know, hopefully that Baker uh, responds. 
Yeah, and staying in the secondary, uh, Peppers gets hurt, not playing defense, but on a kickoff return and a questionable position where he should have been there. He had a great punt return earlier in the game, but he's out there for the kickoff return. He ends up getting hurt. It's a uh, transverse process fracture, um, I guess a, a broken bone, but it doesn't sound terrible, Dan. I guess, first of all, your take on him being in for that play and then um, what you've heard about timeline with that kind of injury. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't like it. I mean, my, my view is really, I want my like number five wide receiver and my number four cornerback, those to be the types of guys who are my returners. I know that there's plenty of, you know, top top line players around the league who return and they don't get injured. It just seems like the Giants guys always do get injured because, uh, you know, we'll get the tape, but you know, whatever they want to say, it sure seemed like that concussion might have come on the uh, punt return early in the game. But just sticking to the Peppers thing, and, you know, he had a good punt return. So I understand you want a guy like that with the ball in his hands. But that situation, A, he hasn't returned any kickoffs. Apparently he lobbied for it. But there's like eight seconds left in the half. It's clearly, you know, a situation where you, you, know, you have to basically break a return for a touchdown or else you're just going to go to the locker room. Um, you know, again, good for him that he you know wants to try and help the team. But it just feels like, you know, everything, a lot of Shermer's decisions kind of reek of desperation. Like, yeah, like, let's get our starting strong safety back there and he can break a kickoff return near 100 yards for a touchdown. Like, I mean, what are the odds of that happening? And then, obviously, he gets hurt and you're without one of your best defensive players for, you know, obviously the second half of yesterday's game. And we'll see going forward because I was flying when I landed. I had to do some quick Googling on transverse process fracture. It <laughs> yeah. certainly sounds uh, like a pretty significant injury. Um, apparently it's not particular. I guess it's like the little, one of the little bones that kind of come off the bottom of your spine. I mean, again, I, I have to do a little it more. It still sounds medical. terrible by the way. Yeah, it doesn't sound great. <laughs> and, and listen, he was in a ton of pain after the game. It sounds very painful. Um, but doesn't, you know, you hear like a broken bone in your back. It, it's not like significant long term or anything. It's just like, it's going to be something that's going to be painful. And like I said, he was having trouble, you know, putting on the socks and that, and that type of thing. But he did say. He was hoping it's something he can just tough it out because, I mean, I think he is a, you know, a tough guy and a competitor. And, you know, I think when you first heard that, you assume, okay, well, he's, he's done for the season. But Shermer said, really, it is a pain tolerance issue, which uh, it's sort of a questionable thing to say. So what if he sits out? Are you saying he's, you know, wimp? Um, but Peppers, again, he's a guy who said he wants to tough things out. So once it's put in those terms, I would think, you know, maybe he's out this week. But I, it definitely does not sound like it's going to shut him down for the rest of the year. So, again, you hear transverse process fracture and it's you know sounds uh, like it's a major injury is gonna be a brace for six months but I guess it's really not I mean I know there's plenty of cases of players around the league who have this injury and you know they miss a week or two weeks or three weeks or whatever but it's not a major injury as bad as it sounds so the other injury before we move on to the offense, well, I guess this is moving on to the offense, is Golden Tate um, with the concussion. Um, and, you know, there's always concussions, but you never wanted to see a second one in the same year. That's the deal here. He had one in the preseason. And obviously the Giants are all too familiar with this, uh, just getting Sterling Shepard back on Sunday, and now Golden Tate gets his second concussion. Yeah, and, and concussions are always tough, like yeah. – I, it's, it's a it's a tough thing, you know, with the Shepard situation. You can't it, you can't really criticize them because nobody they're they're you know kind of so nebulous. It's hard to identify exactly how something happens, how guys get cleared, how they get diagnosed, all that stuff. It's very dicey territory. So I'll try to be careful with what I say here. But the Giants claim it happened when he fell after the touchdown. Now I, mean, I can't I haven't rewatched the game that far yet. I mean I'm assuming his head did hit the turf at that point. I have a really hard time believing that when he got hit on that punt return in the first quarter, when it looked like, you know, Deontay Wilder's knockout punch, when his mouth guard were flying 30 feet in the air and he was clearly dazed, 
went to the blue tent, got checked, sat out an entire series. That wasn't, that didn't contribute. I just have a really hard time. Like the fact that they can nail down that it happened on the touchdown and not the punt. And then he still played the last series. So even if it happened on the touchdown, you know, nobody was alarmed. Nobody checked him out. They let him go back out there. It's just the weird thing with the Giants this year. And this is totally anecdotal because I haven't, you know, looked at what 31 other teams concussion diagnosis have been. And I haven't gone back in my three years on the beat before this one, but I, I don't remember all these post day injury yeah, concussion diagnoses. Usually a guy gets a concussion. It, it, he comes out of the game, that game and he's out. They keep having these things come up on Monday that so-and-so suffered a concussion on Sunday. And it just, I don't know. It's just odd. I, like, so that's why I don't even know where I'm going with it. That, it's just odd to me, but the Tate one, again, I mean, we all, if you go back and watch that hit, I mean, he got, blasted helmet to helmet on that punt return and was clearly shaken up because they had to do all the, you know, concussion tests and everything. And he was in the, in the blue tent. So to, to tell me that that had no impact uh, on whatever he got diagnosed with today, I have a really hard time buying. And then like you said, we made such a big deal about Sterling Shepard having two concussions and granted his were in a, a much shorter period of time, but Tate missed a week during training camp uh, with a concussion. So this is his second concussion of the season. So uh, it's really been just a crazy year with this team and concussions and, and the amount of them. And now two guys having multiple concussions, um, you know, we'll see. It's obviously very early. Maybe Tate can be back this week, but you know, might be another game where, where they're going to be down one of their weapons because again, with two concussions, they, they might have to, you know, err on the side of caution and they might be without Tate, uh, you know, and again, missing another one of their top offensive playmakers when they might just vote me ready to get Ingram back. It's just like this, nothing can go right uh, for this team this season. And it's just the latest uh, evidence of that. Yeah. They'll never have all those guys on the field. It seems like it's interesting. You'd think the players association is paying attention to this with these late post after the game uh, decisions on concussions with the giants and around the league. Cause those are, you know, they're life questions. Uh, right. And that's else. why I'm, I'm trying to be careful and criticize Cause I, I, I right. have to assume they're doing everything by the book. It just feels like maybe it's just a fluke year and, but, I mean, there's just hits where it's it's amazing to me that the concussion spotter isn't seeing some of these. And it just feels – it feels off. So I'm, I'm not reporting that they're, you know, doing something, you know, uh, behind the scenes to cover up concussion, anything like that. It just feels off. And it's just another guy getting diagnosed the next day. And then the fact that they specifically said it was on the touchdown seems like you're trying a little too hard there because – I mean, how can you narrow it down to that one play when he clearly got smashed earlier in, in the head? So, uh, again, it just feels off, and I'm, I'm sure they're doing things by the book. But, uh, you know, maybe it's just a, just kind of a, a crazy year, and uh, this is just another, you know, another thing to throw in the, the pile of all the kind of weird stuff that's happened to them this season. All right, so the rest of the offense, um, there's two things I really want to focus on. It's Barkley and Jones. What a surprise. Those are the guys that, that we want to talk about. But uh, let's start with Barkley, who the, the running game continued again. So his first 16 carries, he gets 37 yards. Finally popped one there in the fourth quarter to make the line a little bit more respectable. 17 carries for 59 yards. That's still under four yards a carry. Um, but the play that stands out, Dan, right, is the first quarter, third and three uh, they run the circle route to him, and he is he is wide open. Jones leads him perfectly, and it just goes through the hands. And it was one of those plays that just felt like a a tone setter for the entire day for the Giants. Yeah, no, that was that was crazy. I mean, it, it's funny because he's had a couple of drops, and I kind of feel like they're always on that type of play. It's almost like you know, like you can have a, a hole in your game, or, or like in baseball, you can have a hole in your swing. It's something about those. Little like swing routes along the left side. Maybe drop the touchdown in, uh, against Tampa in the similar play. But 
other than that, I don't know how to explain it because he it was as much as we bang on Shermer for not you know getting Saquon the ball in, in space, getting involved in the passing game. I mean, that was a perfect play call. It's third and three. Worst case scenario, you're getting like a 15-yard game. More likely, if he catches that, he's already passed that linebacker. He's got uh, the safety in the open field. Very easily could be a 53-yard touchdown. And that, you know, definitely um, could have been a sort of a game changer. I know it's early, uh, but just, just a killer because you've just been trying so hard to get him in that situation. You do everything right, and then he drops the ball. It's just, it's been a tough year for him in, in so many ways. I mean, you talk about the running stats. Um, you know, until he breaks a run late when you know, Chicago's playing much more relaxed defensively, it had been another struggle where it just feels like he's kind of banging his head against the wall. And, and it's so hard to identify what the cause is. Is it play calling? Is it the blocking? Is it his injury? I think you know the best answer is it's a combination of all of those things. I don't think it's any one because everyone wants to just automatically say it's injury, it's injury. You know, I mean, he sprained his ankle like two months ago. Now he came back probably too soon. And you know, we always talked about this. Like, you know, it's going to be a lingering thing. Something that'll probably never be right for him. You remember we talked about that. You know, week in and week out when he was you know, starting his comeback, and always felt a little early. But at the same time, he's you know coming off a of bye. He's had a lot of time to recover, and you see certain moves like the spin moves. Like I don't know that you're doing that if you're at like sixty percent now. Maybe he's at 85, 90, but he's still at a high enough level where you need to see a little bit more production. Because even that play with the great spin move, then he's you know one on one with the defensive back, and he tries another spin move and, and doesn't pick up the first down. That doesn't be in the play, the next play where he got you know stuffed in the backfield, where it was just a bad play call where he had no chance, but. I don't know. It feels like he's just running a little tentatively. Like he kind of gets up in the hole when there is a little bit of a crease and he doesn't have that extra gear. So maybe it's not even so much the injury. Maybe it's mental where he's almost like running a little bit protectively. And then again, I mean, there are times where there's nowhere to run. Defensive guys are in the backfield as soon as he gets the ball. Uh, you know, the play calling, you know, lacks originality a lot of times and, and just, he doesn't have a lot to work with. But I think you at least have to put some of it on him because he's sort of always been a boomer bust guy. It's not like before the injury, he you could just hand him the ball and he would just you know you know chew up yards. That's never really been his strength. He's, he's you know a couple big runs, a couple negative runs. Like that's always sort of been his deal. I mean, I looked it up. You know, he's played in twenty four games now. In thirteen of them, he's averaged less than four yards a carry. That that to me, like that's a kind of whoa stat. Like he, there's been a lot of games there where he's not, you know, been a productive runner. Now usually he makes a big play in the passing game, or um, you know, the next game he comes back and you know breaks a crazy long run. But it just hasn't happened this year. He's been kind of stuck in this this slump and, and hasn't been able to get out of it. And you know, again, nothing on Sunday, you know, indicated that they're close to breaking out. Now it was, it was another good defense. The Jets have a good run defense. The you know the, the Bears have a good run defense. So he's he's had you know some tough matchups, but. Uh, it, it's just it's been a real frustrating year because I think everyone expected him to just you know like take off you know and after the rookie year and just it has not happened for you know combination of reasons. Lots of really unhappy fantasy owners out there for sure. Um, all right, so Jones, this is an interesting one to talk about because Daniel Jones obviously facing a very good defense, and you look at his numbers: the twenty-one of thirty-six, only one hundred and fifty yards, but he throws a couple of touchdowns. There's no interceptions. It's a it's an eighty six point six rating. Um, he's you love to see him have these four touchdown games, but facing a defense like the Bears, and he did fumble again. Although I'm not going to put that one on him at all. The way Khalil Mack came around untouched, but um, I feel good about this performance by Jones against a team like the Bears in his rookie season. Yeah, I mean it, it's. Um... 
it wasn't it wasn't his best performance. Definitely, no. you know, have to you know account for that. But it was, yeah, like I said, it was, it was a really good defense. I think the thing you have to really like is the interceptions are, are way down. I mean, I think yeah. let, I'm trying to look here. His last his last four starts, he's thrown one interception. So he's you know he and listen, he had a couple that should have been intercepted yesterday, but you know, kind of luck evens out there. I mean, he, the early in the game, he had a third down where he threw it in traffic, and then another one later where Shepard you know did a good job just to like basically tackle the guy. But so. Well, you know, it wasn't perfect, but still more or less protecting the ball. And like I said, the fumble, not the type of one you can put on him. I mean, you get drilled in the back as you're throwing that, you know, 99 out of 100 quarterbacks are going to fumble there. Yeah, so, I mean, it's just it's it's just tough because he's he's making some plays. Uh, I mean, the, the drive, the touchdown drive was really impressive. I mean, that play to Tate on, I think it was fourth and 18. I mean, that's, you know, that's <laughs> the odds are are stacked against you there and Will Hernandez got beat right off the snap and he stepped up, avoided him and, you know, delivered a pass while Khalil Mack is bearing down on him. I mean, he, he just has, he gives you enough of those that I think it, that's the, the thing that gives you hope for the future. Um, you know, I've obviously been pretty high on him all season. I really think for three and a half quarters, that was probably his worst game. But again, you have to factor in the defense, not getting any help in the run game. Offensive line is, you know, kind of middle of the pack at best. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was sort of like a C, C minus game and, and rookies are going to have those on the road against good defense. So I didn't have a, a real strong take, but I think it was important and impressive to see him lead that late touchdown drive. Um, cause again, I think that's one of his best attributes that he's just so resilient. Yeah. And then they get it back and, and they get it back in deep territory. He picks up the one first down and then his, he cuts his hand open and he's just bleeding. And, and I had the thought, well, this is either going to affect him big time and they're not going to go anywhere, or this is going to become some sort of legendary performance when a bloody Daniel Jones leads the Giants <laughs> to a victory at Soldier Field. Like 20 years from now, they'll be talking about the fact that it was negative five degrees there and all this <laughs> stuff. But it, it didn't turn out that way. What did he have to say about the blood and, and the, the impact it had? on him yeah he, he really downplayed it. it it was interesting you know i was trying to like snoop on it and he kept his right hand in his pocket throughout his whole post-game interview so i had to ask him about it and he, yeah he said it was minor um just you know didn't even really know how it happened just cut it somehow but didn't said it didn't affect him i mean i will say this he seems like a pretty tough guy he's not yeah. someone who was gonna get up there and, and cry about a, a cut on his hand i only saw it briefly on you know twitter or someone took a screen grab i know they must have talked about it on the broadcast but uh, I don't know how much it did affect him, but he wasn't letting on if it did. All right. I don't know about you, Dan, but uh, I'm excited for Thursday Thanksgiving. Turkey, stuffing, gravy, pumpkin pie, all that stuff. I love the specifically stuffing. Um, how about you? Favorite food at Thanksgiving? Yeah, I got to go stuffing too because it's like right. not the food you really eat the other 364 days out of the year, <laughs> but you can really gorge on it on, on Thanksgiving. So there's all that food and, of course, three huge heaping helpings of football and that's my kind of feast as well and to top it all off the action you can get betting on the games thanks to DraftKings Sportsbook you can take advantage of special Thanksgiving offers all day on Thursday take a listen to just some of the offers DraftKings has going on before kickoff place a bet on the winner of any Thanksgiving football games and DraftKings will give you a free $5 bet plus during the game, place a $5 in-game flash bet, and DraftKings will give you another free $5 bet. 
Just check out the promos tab after sign up to get all the details and see what else DraftKings has to offer. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code QUICK at sign up. For a limited time, all users can get a deposit bonus of up to $500. Don't forget that's code QUICK for all new and existing users to get a deposit bonus up to $500 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, back to the coaching staff a little bit, Dan. And, um, you know, you think of play calling. And there's so many places where you can look at Shermer on Sunday and question things. And obviously, when a team is winning, a lot of those things you don't even question. But when they're losing, um, all those question marks come up. So as the hot seat gets warmer, is there anything in particular other than kind of what we touched on off the top that, that stands out for Shermer? Yeah, I mean, as far as the play calls, I, mean, I actually thought he had a couple of good play calls. You know, I liked the um, the end around to Shepard. That was a nice game. Again, we touched on the the pass that got Barkley open. The, the touchdown to Caden Smith was a well-designed play. So, I mean, he's not a disaster as a play call. It's more like situationally. And listen, I mean, it's a little bit unfair, but it's how you're judging that it's, you know, results-oriented on that regard. And uh, I just, the third and one play I touched on earlier where, you know, you fake the fullback dive to Penny, and pitch it out to Saquon. That's like a play you used to run in Madden and never worked in Madden either. Um, I just I don't think that's gonna work because no one's overreacting to Eli Penny and and you know letting Saquon just drift out to the uh, flat. And certainly the Bears weren't fooled and you know, dropped them for a loss. They had to settle for a field goal and obviously uh, that did not get converted, which has become a, a, an alarming trend. And then there was a play early in the fourth quarter where. It was fourth and four. You know they're down nineteen to seven, so they you know they're, I think they were at the Chicago forty-four. You obviously have to go for it in that situation. Um, you know they run a little like mesh route where Tate and Shepard are supposed to cross. Jones throws it to Shepard and he's tackled for one yard, and that was like flashbacks to the Ben McAdoo era where they you know would never run with the sticks on on you know third or fourth down. And you know <laughs> Shermer is just so defensive too because you know I asked him about the, like what happened to the play because you know, Shepard got up and extended his arms as if like. You know, I said in the press conference it was like the the sign for confusion, but really like the way to word it, I, I, I didn't think it was appropriate for the uh, the press uh, press conference setting was like the you know what the f you know that was his reaction like what the f just happened because clearly that play did not work out the way it was supposed to. But then you have Shermer and he gets his back up and he says, oh no, like we we want a man in coverage, we got man coverage, but like they they seem to always mangle those little mesh plays, and I think we've talked about it on the podcast even where. You know, guys are just running into each other and um, the, the little finer points there. I mean, you're talking about two veteran receivers, so it's certainly partly on them to execute. But, you know, I think a lot of that type of stuff goes back to coaching. And I just I don't I don't know how that's that happens. That situation where, you know, you got these two guys, they basically run into each other. The play gets all, you know, the timing gets thrown off. Jones throws it to Shepard and you tackle for one yard and fourth and four. And that's just tough to stomach. And, and again, that just sort of. It's what you've come to expect from this team. They did. They don't execute in the big spots. Uh, put it on the players if you want to a degree, but if it keeps happening, I think it falls on the lap of the head coach. You know, it reminds me of that play is uh, when you're walking down the sidewalk in New York City and there's somebody coming the other way, kind of in line with you, and neither of you can decide if you're supposed to go right <laughs> or left, and you almost end up running into each other in the middle of the sidewalk. <laughs> that's that's what those guys look like on the field in Chicago. Uh, then there is later in the fourth quarter. The punting situation where clearly the Bears were punting, right? And and this is another one where Shermer, you know, kind of pushed it off after the game as no big deal. But the 
The Giants didn't have the right guy back there on that play, and it ended up costing them important yards late in the game. Yeah, actually, I'm glad you brought that one up because that was, you know, play calling again. It's you know results oriented. You can second guess, but that was, you know, that was a first guess. It, the Bears come out with fourth and two deep in their own territory. They're winning. Their offense stinks. They're not going for it. But obviously, you have to keep your defense on the field while their offense is on the field. But you have to have your punt team ready. So once the Bears sprint on with their punt team, you know they, they can't catch you off guard. There, the refs ha- once the offense subs, they're going to hold it up so the defense can sub. There's no like you know catching anybody off guard in that situation. They have to switch the ball out even, so they don't put their punt team on. I, I don't understand why. Um, you know they're not. He said they were in punt safe. Punt safe is what you're in. If it's fourth and two at like your own forty, and there's a you know either they're gonna get a you know a touchback or they're gonna fake it, so you just you just stay in your defense and, and you don't worry about a return. In that situation, a return is a big part of the game because you know every yard matters when time is low and you, you're gonna need a touchdown drive. Now, Jabril Peppers being out that probably you know threw a wrench into things a little bit because at least if he's back there, I mean he's a, a punt returner, so even if you're not gonna set up for a return, if he's the safety back there, um, you'd feel a little better with his decision making. But they end up with Janoris Jenkins as the deep man who, I mean, has been in the league for eight or nine years, has had like a handful of punt returns and none since he's been with the Giants. So fair to say he's probably a little rusty in that role. I don't for the life of me understand why you don't at least run Golden Tate on for Jenkins. You want to keep everybody else out there because you don't want to, you know, create mass confusion, whatever. But, you know, coaching is all about reacting the moment. You know, your punt team should have been ready. So how hard is it to just send Tate in and Jenkins out? And again, you're not going to call 12 men because they have to give you a chance to sub in that situation. Instead, they keep Jenkins in there, and of course, Shermer tells you it's exactly how we want things to go, even though it could have been a fair catch at the 15. Ball rolls, you know, bounces, rolls, really could have been down even inside the five, but they end up batting it back to the six. So listen, it's nine yards. Nine yards is huge, though, when you're in that situation where you have no timeouts left, you're going to have to mount a touchdown drive, you're starting out back at your own six. They obviously didn't even get past their own 35. Um, but it's just, it's more the, he can never concede that like, you know, maybe I should have done something differently. I made a mistake. It's always, no, everything was exactly the way we wanted it. Like you guys are crazy for even questioning me. And that's the start, the stuff that I think just kind of grates on the media, grates on the fan base, this, uh, you know, know it all, never can admit they're wrong because there's no way Bill Belichick would have handled that situation the same way or name, you know, name an accomplished coach. It just feels like Sherman's always so reactionary and, and, like, did he really think the Bears were going to go for it? No. You have to have your punt team ready. So, to get caught in that situation. Again, like, these are the stuff where I talk about with Shermer where, listen, it's a rebuild. Nobody expected this team to win this year. But I always have been saying, can you envision this guy when the pieces are in place taking a team that's 10-6 and 6 to 12-4 and 4, or a team that's 10-6 and 6 and, you know, going on the road and winning an NFC championship and getting a Super Bowl. Like, no, there's nothing you see from him that tells you he's going to give this team an edge when the talent is there. So, I mean, you can excuse a lot of stuff by, like, Corey Ballantyne's a young cornerback and he's going to get torched and there's really not a lot coaching can do for that. But it's these other strategic decisions and game management decisions that just time and time again he gets outfoxed. And that's the stuff that I just don't know how you could look at if you're John Mara or, you know, or Dave Gettleman. And say, yes, this guy, when we get it figured out, the roster, he's going to be the guy to lead us to the promised land. There's just no signs that, that he has it in him. And again, these are just small things, but they just add up over and over and over. And that was just another example. Yeah, it's brutal. And um, so you lose this game in Chicago. They come back home this week. And <laughs> look who's coming to town, the Green Bay Packers, who are 8-3. and three, But maybe worse than that, 
just got blasted by the Niners on Sunday night. So the Packers are going to come in with all kinds of frustrations, ready to take it out on the Giants. Um, Mitch Trubisky couldn't do much against this Giants secondary, but I'm a little nervous about Aaron Rodgers taking <laughs> on this secondary, Dan. It, it, things are shaping up badly uh, for Sunday. Is there anything the Giants can do here? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm with you. It's uh, it's yeah, probably the worst time to catch him. The only thing, only reaction I had on Sunday night uh, is, you know, thankfully for the Giants, like they don't play the 49ers because, my goodness, that would get really ugly. A team with a pass rush like that and that is so efficient offensively, that would be a nightmare matchup. Um, but the Packers have been, you know, pretty good all season. And, um, you know, I think that they're going to look to get back on track. You know, even just little things like, you know, they had three offsides by their their edge rushers or defensive linemen on Sunday. What's Aaron, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is famous for that. He's going to have guys jumping left and right and be picking up free plays. And uh, I think this, you know, they, they've been pretty competitive in the recent games, but this is a step up in competition. And I have a hard time seeing them be competitive. You know, I, I just think that, you know, Rodgers is going to absolutely have a field day, um, you know, with this young secondary, with this, you know, inconsistent at best pass rush I, I just think this one has a chance to be really ugly it's a home game so i think the fan base is gonna you know let their uh their disgust show a little bit and i think this one could be pretty ugly yeah rogers really struggled against the niners obviously a very different defense but just threw for 104 yards was sacked five times that o-line is banged up but then you look at the giants and you wonder if they can really get that much pressure on him anyway if there's one spot, at least on paper, where it looks like the Giants may have an advantage, if Evan Engram can come back, tight ends have really uh, torched the Niners or torched the Packers uh, in in recent weeks. The last five weeks, yardage by tight ends, individual tight ends. Darren Waller, seven catches, 126 and two scores for Oakland. Kansas City's Kelsey had uh, 63 yards and a score. Uh, the Rams' Hunter Henry, 84 yards. Carolina's Greg Olson, 98 yards. And then George Kittle had 129 yards and a touchdown on Sunday. So if Evan Engram can get back, maybe he can do damage. But we've seen them face teams that can't cover tight ends, Dan. And Engram somehow is quiet in those games in the past. Yeah, I was about, I was about to jump in there. So I'm not falling <laughs> for that one again. I mean, I think that's all we talked about leading into that Arizona game. And even Owen had one catch for six yards. So uh, that's assuming Engram even gets on the field. And yeah, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not buying into any matchup that the Giants should exploit. Actually, getting exploited once game day rolls around. It's going to be interesting. So we have to do a prediction though to go with it. Um, so the spread is six and a half, which is to me, it's really surprising. Maybe people saw that game on Sunday night uh, with the Packers and Niners and are thinking down on the Packers. But I think if anything, that's going to make them angrier. I would have thought this would have been maybe nine and a half pushing 10 points. It is in New York. Um, I'm going to go 31-13 Packers. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat as you. I think this one, like I said, is going to be ugly. Um, I got the Packers 33-17. to Like you know, Maybe the Giants' offense can get a little something going. I mean, you know, maybe a, a garbage-time score, but I think they're going to have a really tough time stopping Aaron Rodgers, stopping uh, you know, some of those Packers' weapons. I think this is a game where as a lot of teams have done, the Packers will get right when they get to face the Giants. So I think, uh, you know, kind of an ugly game. And again, I think it'll be even uglier with the fans showing their displeasure with the direction of the team. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe to the podcast. Then every time we have a new episode, uh, 
It'll be right there for you to listen wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, give us a five-star review. That helps us along the way as well. And if you want to hear all of these podcasts, you got to subscribe to The Athletic. We have this one free episode a week. But if you want our second episode each week, it's just for subscribers of The Athletic. Right now, you can save 40% off that subscription. Go to theathletic.com slash the New York Football Podcast for 40% off a subscription to The Athletic. Great time for it, too, with the holidays coming up. And a, a special edition across the Athletic Podcasting Network this week. I can't give it away, but Tuesday morning, special podcast coming out. So definitely check that out as well. And the, there'll be stories to go with it, including one on Dan uh, by Dan. Uh, on the athletics. So check out that stuff as well. It's a blitz across all sports. We're really excited about it here at the athletics. So check out the podcast again on Tuesday morning to learn more about that. Follow Dan on Twitter as well. D Duggan 21. Um, you can always get your questions into him there as well. And we'll try to answer them here on the podcast. Thanks to our producer, Marissa Morris, and we will talk to you next time here on the New York football podcast. <laughs>